0: Hello, I'm Gemma Davies and I'm the Community Manager here at The Future of SaaS. Welcome to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product. Whether that's building the ultimate SaaS marketing team or taking your product global, our guests will help you grow, scale up and work smarter. Today we're joined by Gabriella De Florio, CEO at PreLay. PreLay is a team selling software that enables revenue teams and internal stakeholders to coordinate and communicate effectively. Gabriella will be giving us her top tips on how non-revenue driving teams can support sales. So thanks for joining us. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Prelay.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Gemma. Um, On my end, I am the CEO and founder of Prelay, Uh, specifically, you know, as a CEO, you can do plenty of things. Um, Mostly I spend my time, uh, one on the product end, really ensuring that we're providing the best product experience for our customers and future customers alike. Uh, Additionally, I work directly with the field, ensuring that we can be driving revenue in the best way possible through thorough execution across the full team. Uh, So throughout our customer base and as well as beyond throughout the full industry, Um, obviously leading the team to really make sure that we can start to really scale out uh, throughout the market through our full team selling software
0: perfect thank you so much um, so obviously we'll jump straight in with the topic there so when you're looking at how non-revenue driving teams can support sales when you're looking at how other teams can support sales you have to define the sales goals to begin with so how do you set okrs to support sales and revenue um, and how do you define them
1: yeah, and I think this is a great question, because I think on our end, internally in Prelay, we certainly prioritize this in a lot of ways, and so I'll share a little bit. And I also think in the industry, um, whether you're an enterprise company or more mid-market, there's plenty of ways that you can be able to drive OKRs or just pure goals um, based upon uh, the team uh, really being able to drive revenue that goes beyond the, the sales uh, organization. Um, so I'll start with a prelay on that end. So within Pre-Lay, we have really defined OKRs to ensure that um, each team has explicit goals of spending time outside of their core responsibilities of their segment. So really being able to ensure that maybe the engineers can provide expertise and help uh, as needed for any sort of key customers, any sort of key product features we need, really ensuring that we have all hands on deck um, whenever necessary, um, and really ensuring we're prioritizing uh, time on that end. Um, you know, obviously, we also do ensure that um, our team is able to focus on their core responsibilities, but we certainly think that um, through really focusing in on our customer base, it really causes us to be more customer centric for one, additionally allows us to really produce the pr- best product experience and customer experience um, for everyone involved with prelay. Um, You know, that's obviously a little bit more on the qualitative side, Um, you know, for more like quantitative, and I would say something that is more tied to kind of enterprise type of companies, um, you know, companies that might have more uh, product specialists or overlay teams or uh, solutions engineers, anyone that is really driving that revenue uh, process. What we typically find there is for one, um, the typical kind of rev share initiatives where you can ensure that at least uh, from a commission standpoint or any sort of incentive uh, you are really driving forth with ensuring that um, the right person is hopping onto the deal and really providing the right expertise at the right time. Mm. Um, Additionally, what we find too is beyond just, Rub share. It's going to be a lot of how can we ensure that you know rather than just external SLAs for the customer, but rather how do we have internal SLAs that are really going to be driving this deal forward? So I'll give an example here. Um, What we find is that with um, you know maybe deal desk or legal, um, potentially even on the more technical enablement side too with SEs, um, it's incredibly difficult to understand you know how long the sales cycle will take depending on the different types of people hopping in. Um, So what we typically find is that it's actually um, very, I would say intuitive to be able to start to drive uh, internal SLAs, whether it be maybe time period that a particular deliverable should be completed or time period that a particular um, you know project that a legal team typically hops into should be completed. So you can start to find better kind of, I would say, prediction of how these deals can be closing based on these different types of people hopping in. Additionally, I think that internal SLA really gives that, ownership um to that other stakeholder that's hopping into the deal that goes beyond mm-hmm. that account executive you know obviously sales reps um have quite a bit of commission have a lot of incentive to close up on the deals but i would say that really on the internal stakeholder end, if you don't have the correct or at least some sort of incentives for them to be driving on the deal, it's incredibly difficult um, to ensure that they're able to be as impactful as possible. So, um, you know, I think for one, what I mentioned on the OKR end, whether it's just, um, you know, having particular uh, projects that, you know, different stakeholders or different departments should hop into, or if it's getting to more of that rev share lens of potentially giving that overlay team or anybody else in the process, more uh, revenue or commission throughout. Um, But I think that last piece is not something that enough people do is, really thinking through that internal SLA portion. How long should it take our teams to complete a lot of these deliverables and projects on the deal? And how should we be prioritizing that across the multiple deals that we're running at one point in time? Um, I think it's a great question. And I think a question that not not a lot of people answer uh, as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like um, from what you were saying there, it's really important to have that sort of definition of those timings a definition of who owns what um really clear from the outset um sort of rather than trying to sort of catch up with that afterwards or assign things after afterwards just to have those people involved from the beginning so that the ex- expectations are set so that you can sort of really know what you're um expected to deliver
1: yeah certainly i think um as a yeah i think there's always going to be ad hoc needs right on deals. Not every deal is going to be the same and there's always Mm -hmm. things thrown at you during the deal process. But I still think that in a lot of ways, um, trying to at least best define the ideal path um, to success of driving any sort of revenue with your team is um, incredibly helpful and something that um, at least some sort of thought upfront should definitely uh, be uh, put within the process.
0: Definitely. Um, and along that kind of line, um, which teams have you found are the most most crucial for supporting sales goals? So have you found that um, there's a team that you focus on more when you're putting that kind of thought into the plans at the beginning or, or does it sort of come uh, differently every time?
1: Yeah. um, You know, I think I'd love to have a one clear answer for this, Mm -hmm. but I think it really depends. Um, It depends on one, the product you're selling, right? If it's more of a complex product, if it's more of a technical product, you might have more of those technical stakeholders involved, like the solutions engineering team, solutions architects, um, you know, overlead team for a particular product um, line. But I think again, on the product end for one, the type of buyer you're selling to as well. Um, So let's think of it this way, if you're selling to maybe more of an SMB uh, type of company versus enterprise, maybe you won't bring in as many stakeholders just because the sales cycle is not uh, quite as long and uh, certainly does not need quite as much support because it is a straightforward sale in that sense. Um, Additionally, it is all about timing as I just, alluded to around looping in the right people at the right time and mm-hmm. um you know obviously if you have little resources on your team uh, figuring out the best way to leverage those um it, it really that starts to drive the importance of who can come in and who can't just based upon peer capacity that they have um you know i i won't say that there's necessarily you know number one um person that is incredibly important throughout the process you know Obviously, with a more technical product, solutions engineers can be a huge driver of impact to ensure that um, the deal is able to, for one, obviously you know get done and be complete, but also to ensure that the buyers are fully educated throughout the process and ensure that um, they come in happy. They come in happy as uh, brand new customers and they're excited and energized to be using the product. Um, you know, certainly, uh, I think there's a lot of people in the background that are also incredibly important that I I think most people don't really think through during the deal process, whether it's deal desk or legal or any one of that sort, that typically most people are needing to wait on to figure out uh, how they can be wrapping up the deal, how can they ensure that the negotiation goes well, how they can ensure that T's and C's are completed. These are all pieces that in the end, if you didn't have legal, if you didn't have deal desk, if you didn't have any sort of SEs, the deal just wouldn't be able to get done done. So again, I think a lot of it is dependent on the product you're selling, whether it's complex or it's technical, needing more of those additional resources, whether it's maybe a product specialist because you're selling to a particular industry um, or even just the type of buyer you're selling to. Maybe they're more on the technical lens um, or on more of the enterprise angle that you need more uh, resources around. Um, But certainly I would say um, the full team uh, pulls their weight, I would say. But Mm -hmm. I I think that um, it, it certainly depends on the timing of when one person might be more crucial than one other person.
0: Absolutely. That makes sense. And I think that's a that's a pretty comprehensive answer there. Um, I think you've covered most of my next question, which is how do you define the deal collaboration based on the customer or prospect account? I don't know if you have any more to say on that.
1: Yeah, I can uh, dive a little bit more into detail on that end. Um, I would say that overall, again, it does depend on that size or product line that they're interested in. So I think a lot of um, defining the actual people that need to come into the process are based around those core factors. And I, honestly, I would say potentially other factors as well, but um. I think it does really make sense to think through how you prioritize those resources around the deal and at what timestamp. I think um, that is one thing at prelay we always try to think through is um, how do you think through each person's capacity, how many projects they have, um, you know, how many deals are they working at one point in time? Um, because you know, most of the time, maybe for a uh, they have maybe two deals but they have multiple different projects they're working on within those two deals where maybe someone else has about 10 deals and they only have about like one project here and there within those deals so maybe their their capacity is actually quite lower um yeah. so really being able to think through just the overall like prioritization around um, you know, how you loop in these different people based upon capacity. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that you know, there's always ad hoc needs uh that need to be covered. Again, it's hard to proactively think through um, who can always come in, but I think that's why tracking capacity is actually incredibly crucial um for this. Um, and I think today it's it's just hard for people to systematically do this just because. Um, For context, what we find is that people are doing this on Slack today, they're looping Mm -hmm. team members in uh, ad hoc on Slack through messages, they're looping team members in through Microsoft Teams and other communications platforms like email, um, where it's really difficult to understand someone's capacity, what they're working on today. What are those intricate pieces throughout the process that need be taken care of? Um, and that's something that we really try to fulfill at PreLay is ensuring that um, you can be driving that kind of core capacity, driving who's getting involved and making sure that they have enough uh, time on their hands
0: to um, help out as much as possible. Absolutely. Um, and it sort of sounds like it's all about workload management and really being on top of what, as you say, what everyone's got on their plate at the time um, and what makes sense for the product.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think workload management is a great way to put it. And I think it's definitely a matter of making sure that you're using your resources wisely. We like to think of it as, um, you know, just because uh, process management is important. We think that people management during the pre-sales process is also
0: um, one of the most crucial pieces too. Perfect. And I think that is a great point to point out to our listeners and really important one there. Um, So sort of carrying on from that, um, thinking about what different teams need to be involved and how that workload is weighted towards different teams. Um, What are your thoughts on a sales led approach versus a marketing first approach in targeting new customers to drive revenue?
1: Yeah, I think this is a great question. I think it's a very, um, you know, I would say trendy question in a sense. I think lots of people are really thinking through this right now as they're thinking through more of a bottoms up approach or. Top down approach of getting in front of customers, maybe through a, a free trial, um, you know, starting through product led and then um, moving on to sales. And again, I think it really depends on the product. I think it depends on the team uh, composition that you have, um, but I think a lot of it do- goes to back to product. So on the product side, if you have not as you know, complex of a product, and you can be able to just self-serve um, people throughout the process. Of course, marketing will uh, kind of kick that off, and you know, sales will need to be looped in uh, as soon as possible as uh, the customer has any sort of questions or needs. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, I still think that although if it is product-led, um, even obviously on more of the sales-led, sales and marketing will be working together. Um, it's incredibly important for them to be aligned um, throughout the whole process, and I think that. Um, I don't think it's sales versus marketing, but rather how can sales and marketing really work together to propel these deals forward? Um, you know, from my perspective, I, I really view it as ensuring that whether it's very much top of funnel on, um, you know, driving these deals and leads into uh, the pipeline, but also I would say mid funnel. I would say that's the most crucial part is ensuring that the, the buyer is engaged, ensuring the opportunity is engaged. Whether that's online, whether that's through uh, like any sort of events that you can be doing, mm-hmm. a lot of this is engagement that goes beyond just what a sales rep can drive from a relationship standpoint, but goes be, goes into more brand awareness, goes into more um, ensuring that you can really educate the buyer throughout the process. And I really view this as not only, um, you know, top, top of funnel when you're driving the leads forward and maybe doing a product led approach to also doing expansions, ensuring that you are educating the buyer as time goes on and ensuring that um, buyers that might even be more core users, ensuring that they're fully educated of, you know, the capabilities of the product and how much further it can go as well. So uh, to answer your question, I really think that um, marketing and sales throughout the full funnel have to work together and partner together um, throughout to ensure that um, the buyer is educated and energized around the product and excited uh, to be using it. Um, and I really think this is, again, goes back to the core kind of part of team selling is um, really driving toward like a core goal as a team and really being able to honestly, a big portion of this is how can you re- proactively relay information um, to different team members and really ensure that you're on the same page. Um, Cause if you're educating in different ways um, there's going to be a complete misalignment and it might be confusing to the customer or buyer. Um, so ensuring that you can be sharing Um, pretty aligned information, um, making sure you're on the same page of the goal that you're going toward, whether you're in the pre-sales or post-sales process of this um, is incredibly important. So definitely think that partnership is one of the strongest that you could be making um, throughout the process.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Sort of sounds like a dream team there of of educating the customer and making them excited about the product, I guess. Um, So sort of following on from that as an example, um, how can sales teams use content assets, for example, to help close a sale?
1: Yeah, and yeah, this is certainly something that we come up against with uh prelay is just really ensuring that the team can be enabled in the best way possible. And I think on this end, um, you know, content is definitely, as I was just alluding to too, is content is incredibly helpful for education uh for the buyer, um, really ensuring that they have all of the knowledge needed um to be as successful as possible of leveraging product or even purchasing the product. And overall on that end, I think timing is everything. Um, I think the best way to really drive content assets is to be able to ensure that you're sharing those at the right time with the right person. Mm -hmm. And I, I think right now it's, Pretty hard to execute that, um, especially when like one individual rep or maybe a rep and SE are having to figure out the best way to share this information when there's, you know, so many things that can be going on during the deal. Yeah. Um, so, what I really recommend with this is um how can you best like map out what type of content you would like to share based on different timing and criteria? And uh typically it's just a little bit harder when. You obviously have Salesforce as like your core, like you know, uh, you're kind of going through the process in the pipeline. Um, but then you have maybe separate platforms like a seismic or other uh, platforms where you're able to share like some sort of content bank. Um, yeah. I think pairing those two together in the best way possible is something that we really try to drive forth with Prelay is mm-hmm. ensuring that um, you could be sharing that content at certain points in time when it's necessary or even proactively so that. Um, those questions might not crop up from the customer or buyer. You already have answered them um, right away before you. they would even expect that they would crop up on that. So again, I think, um, you know, content assets can be your definitely greatest asset on the deal. But I think a lot of that uh, is dependent on timing and execution of it and um,
0: really making sure that you're um, figuring out the best way to share that uh, information. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously sort of to... What I'm inferring from that there is that you really need to look at exactly what that content is doing um, rather than having a sort of template. You know, we'll share this then we'll share this then. But really looking at what the outcome of that content would be. Would you agree?
1: Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it all goes back to like, what is the greater goal here? Are we trying to educate the buyer on the product? Like, are we wanting them to hop in the product during a trial or something? Are we trying to ensure that um, they're educated on this maybe core integration or use case for them to be able to become a customer or a buyer? buyer? Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, it's thinking through the core goal of the information you're sharing, because you also don't want to share um, unnecessary information potentially as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So on that sort of you mentioned there, the timing is the most important thing um, with content, but also um, sort of earlier on, you mentioned that timing is really important in terms of the sort of customer lifecycle. So are you able to lay out where in the customer journey sales should begin and end contact with the customer?
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a great question. I think it does go back to kind of um, what I was mentioning on uh, you know sales and marketing. And I think this uh bleeds within like every portion of the sales process as well. Um, I think with the beginning portion definitely depends on the product as noted and um, depends on the motion you're running. Obviously um, with sales hopping in for a product led growth uh, motion that's definitely going to be later in the process where um, where if, if it's more of a complex product or more of a custom pro- product, certainly um you know sales will have to hop in uh, quite a bit earlier to ensure that they're educating uh, the buyer. They're ensuring that the buyer truly understands how they can be hopping into the platform as easily as possible. Um, All things that you want to be as early as possible in the the sales process um, with, but... Uh, for that ending portion, I really like to think that, um, in you know, I come from a world of athletics, so I like to think of there's no finish line with sales. So a lot of this is, um, you know, in the end, sales has to be really be bleeding throughout the post-sales efforts as well. Um, You know, I actually uh, had a conversation recently with um, someone within my network and uh, we were talking about how, you know, farming and overall hunting is really no more any longer. Like, A lot of renewals, overall expansions are really happening during this time period, um, especially as products become more sophisticated, Mm -hmm. especially as products are um, becoming more functional that people want to really expand their usage of them, um, especially in this, um, you know, pretty distributed world where people are needing more digital um, assets on that end. Um, So Really, from my perspective, it's how can you ensure that you're holding on to that relationship as a sales rep or as a sales team um, to ensure that this? you know, company can be growing throughout, um, you know, their tenure of using the platform. So on this end, how can you ensure that when you close up on a customer that, you know, you're staying in touch with them, you're staying incredibly customer centric, even if you're not, you know, customer success, you're keeping that relationship strong so that prior to any sort of expansion, you're top of mind for one. Um, additionally, uh, for any sort of expansion, you can be right there when it's meaningful for them to start to really learn how they can be leveraging your platform in different ways and um, really starting to trust um, that they can be leveraging their plat- the platform for success as well. Um, so I, I don't really think there's a finish line with the sales process per se or how sales teams can get involved. I think if anything, the strongest teams really keep building and compounding on that relationship that they've already built.
0: Yeah. And I really like that Um, sort of obviously drawing on your background there, there's no finish line with sales. So I think that's probably something again that to highlight for our listeners to take away. Um, so how have you seen the most successful collaboration take place with non-sales teammates? Obviously, um, from what we've heard from the, the previous questions, you've got a solid plan in place to, to make that success happen. So, um, what are some of the successes that you've had?
1: Yeah. And I think, um, this does go back to, uh, I think one thing that we were talking about on. Overall OKRs and goals of the team. Um, I find that the most successful uh, collaboration takes place when you do have those OKRs in place and clear goals, because in the end, it's incentives that can really drive the team forward, uh, especially if you're driving incentives um, around the core growth of the company, right? You have your revenue growth, that's really at the, I'd like to call it the node of the company where plenty of people need to be driving forth on that, ensuring that, um, that there's no slowdown and there's no, um, if anything, shortage of it either. So on that end, really OKRs and goals driven toward revenue based upon, um, those other supporting team members getting in is incredibly important, um, to ensure that they really have this North star around their deals and that they have this excitement around them as well. And really ensuring that they are, um, pairing, uh, well with their incentives on that end too. I think additionally, um, having a guided process of all of this, um, really as we talked about earlier on kind of proactively thinking through who needs to get involved, how do they need to get involved? What is the key goal here? And a lot of that is, you know, how can you start to really map out how the team should be able to um, be looped into the process and how they should be working based upon maybe different types of deals, right? Not every deal is equal, not every buyer is equal, but I think there's always, um, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, overlapping uh, portions of, you know, legal getting in at certain periods of time, SEs hopping in at different periods of time and different activities as well that typically might come up pretty often um, in each deal. So I think that's one last piece. And then, um, beyond this, I think that, um, typically, again, going back to how important it is to loop in those team members outside of the sales process. Yeah. Um, I think during complex deals, um, especially if the sales team isn't really leaning on those resources, it typically falters because you need that additional resource, whether it be legal or an SE, to ensure that um, you are getting it across the line and um,
0: you are really ensuring that um, the, the deal can be as successful as possible. Yeah. And um, I sort of, I guess that being proactive about mapping out that involvement sort of ahead of time, as you say, obviously it depends. Sometimes it's, it's a case by case, but sort of knowing that you're going to be needed gives you a sense of ownership as someone outside of the sales team, I guess, rather than feeling that our sales need something from me, it's actually part of their own, their own task and their own, their own responsibility. Yeah, I
1: always like to think of it as um, decreasing surprises, right? Like kind of knowing the, the mm. scope of your role ahead of time. And um, I think oftentimes uh, you don't really set up those expectations up front. And I think by setting those expectations, it knows where people should be
0: spending their time and um, definitely a core piece. Perfect. I think that's some fantastic advice for our audience there. Um, so on the other hand, what are some of the biggest challenges you might face when trying to align sales with other teams?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think historically, especially as you can only imagine, when we were in only offices, which seems like, uh, you know, years and years ago (laughs) at this point, um, I think historically, a lot of people are just siloed, right? Organizations are typically siloed. They're not thinking through the best ways to be partnering with each other. I think everyone's always trying to scrap together. How can we achieve our goals as a team? And how can we achieve our goals as an organization? But not really thinking through, actually, to achieve our goals, we have to be supporting other teams. We have to be thinking through the best way to support other teams. And unfortunately, I think a lot of these are siloed. different systems are using. They're not speaking to each other. I think it's um, siloed in the different types of goals, as I just mentioned of like, what type of goals are they driving toward? What type of OPRs are they driving toward that inevitably in the end, you actually need those other teams to be supporting those. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, I think uh, going back to those systems and not talking with each other, I think that's lack of visibility in the process, lack of visibility of you know, what team members are Getting involved in the deal, um, what core goals do they have, and having more of that transparency throughout is incredibly important. Um, and then I think, additionally, a last bit is, um, and this is something that actually we do internally at Prelay is, how can we make everyone a product expert? You know, how can we ensure that every person really understands what we're doing, how we're selling this, how we're also just pro- providing any sort of value for customers? And you know, this can stem. For obviously, you know, you want your sales reps to be experts of the product, but also down to more engineering or products like we want every single person to be um, an expert of what we're doing, how we provide value. And unfortunately, I think oftentimes not that's not always the case. Um, because people just don't, and a lot of times companies don't prioritize a lot of this. Um, I think um, you know, talking about the silo effect, it goes back to again that distributed environment, and I think especially right now, it's it's incredibly difficult to figure out ways to partner with each other. But I think that there's definitely ways online that you can um, certainly collaborate in the best way possible there. Um, and then I think uh, lastly you know, sales are definitely volatile, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. in a complex sale, there's always new things coming your way. And yeah. um, it's definitely difficult to navigate uh, the best way to loop in those uh, different teams in the process, but obviously something that you kind of have to take uh, tackle and figure out the best way uh, to do so.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I quite like that, the idea of making everyone a product expert. I think that's, um, it seems fairly obvious, but obviously in in sort of lots of different podcasts and articles and, and things about different departments, um, it won't be often that you'll hear someone of a different department talk about making your team a product expert. So I think that's really useful. Um, So what are some of the outcomes that you've seen um, when sales are successfully aligned with the rest of the company? What are some of the benefits of all of these tips that we've just gone through?
1: Yeah, and I think um, this might be a little bit of a like summary here, but I think overall, um, you know, the best outcome is the customer is highly educated on what you're doing. They're excited, they're ready to adopt the product and then obviously renew again. Um, so that's a huge portion. Um, you know, I think that just being able to complete that cycle with high satisfaction um, to close through like another renewal is incredibly important internally as well. Um, and then I think that, you um, throughout the process, people like to think that there's like one owner, right? You have the opportunity owner technically, but I think that, you know, there's multiple owners in the process and each person needs to chip in and align with the rest of the team, no matter if it's top of funnel or renewal. And I I think that when, People are able to really position that within their company and really make sh- make sure that's a core principle of theirs. Uh, it really allows for you to have the most successful deal process. And honestly, in the end, most successful deal process is again making that customer happy, making sure that buyer is happy, and ensuring that they're staying within um, you know leveraging your platform.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that actually takes us to the end of our question. So thank you so much for chatting to us. Um, I think we've sort of, we've covered obviously making everyone a product expert, being customer centric. And one of the most important ones that came up multiple times is setting expectations and avoiding surprises between your teams. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. Um, Do you have any final words or tips for sales teams that might be struggling at the moment or any, just any final advice for our listeners?
1: Yeah, no, and thanks again uh, for having me, Jemma. Had really a great conversation here. I think overall, obviously, um, you know, on Prelay, and this is something that really comes close to us is um, ensuring that the team can be driving forth together, and ensuring that you can leverage systems, processes, and people alike all in one place. Um, so it's certainly something that we do um, provide within uh, within Prelay.
0: Perfect, and thank you so much for joining us. It was great to chat with you. Thank you.